Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're in a series entitled Alive, Reviving Our Spiritual Passions. This particular message, we're talking about reviving my purity. We're talking about one of the Old Testament kings. His name is Josiah. We've been talking about the different kings in the house of Judah, recognizing there are two houses in the Old Testament, two particular nations, so to speak, that partic- of all the different tribes that were placed in the different houses, and both of them had a destiny they were fulfilling. Not everybody understands that. House of Judah, house of Israel. House of Israel, 19 kings, all of them were naughty. None of them, thought the Lord, none of them did what was right. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, 19 in a row. In the house of Judah, there were also 19 kings, and eight of them found it in their heart to do what was right. Out of the 19, eight of them became reformers. Every time they reformed, that particular king would bring something that would cause a change in the nation. Then maybe the next king would be wicked. Wicked, wicked, and the next one, and the next one. Then another reformer would pop up. And so we have only eight of them out of 19 that were actually reformers, revivers of the people of God, and did what was right. Josiah was the 15th king. Josiah was almost at the sunset of Judah. You're coming now to the end of their history. There's only a couple more things to happen, and it's over for Judah. They will go into Babylonian captivity. They will be there for 70 years. They will be under all that Babylon was. They will be dismantled in their religious activity and their temple. They will take a 700-mile journey to be under that nation. It's going to be a horrible ending for the house of Judah and for the house of Israel. And they were scattered abroad. Josiah is a very, very special king. I want you to note two scriptures as we move toward our text. Our text will be in Second Chronicles chapter 34, if you want to find that. That's where I'll land in a moment. We'll go through some verses. But I want you to take down two other verses as we move toward Second Chronicles chapter 34. First is First Kings chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. First Kings chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. I want you to notice in First Kings chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, that there's a prophecy given by the man of God to Jeroboam. Remember, Jeroboam is one of the kings of Israel who was very wicked. And Jeroboam is one of the kings that really set a standard for wickedness that many of the kings followed. It says in First Kings chapter 13, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense, not incense to God. He was not burning any dedication to God. There was nothing in Jeroboam's heart that would follow the ways of the Lord. He was a wicked man to the core. He was a man that defiled the temple, defiled the priest, went against the covenant of God. He's a wicked man. It says here in 1 Kings 13 that the man of God, a prophet, doesn't say what his name is. He timed it perfectly. He moved right in to where Jeroboam was standing and Jeroboam is right by the altar and Jeroboam is getting ready to burn incense to some of his ungodly idols, those that were not gods at all. And the man of God timed it. 
He came by the word of the Lord, stood next to Jeroboam, and he stood by the altar. As Jeroboam's going to burn incense. Notice what the prophet does. Then he cried out against the altar. Not against Jeroboam. He knew better. You can't cry out against the king and rebuke the king without giving your life on the spot. He knew that. Jeroboam would take his head off in a second. So the prophet slips up, and Jeroboam let him get away with it. And the prophet begins to prophesy, not to the man, but the prophet begins to prophesy to the altar. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, Oh, altar, altar. Now remember, Jeroboam standing right there listening to the words, but the prophet is prophesying to the altar. Oh, altar, altar, thus says the Lord God, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, 300 years before he's born, the prophet names the king. The prophet names the reformer. The prophet names the king we're talking about in this particular message 300 years before this man comes alive. The Lord put this word in the prophet's mouth to prophesy against Jeroboam and his house and against all the idol worshipers. Behold, a child, Josiah by name. How accurate, how amazing, how supernatural. Shall be born to the house of David. And on you, the altar... He shall sacrifice the priest of the high places. That is, the idol worshippers, the immoral people, those that were serving other gods, those that were an abomination to the Lord. This prophet is saying, you will be the sacrifice on the altar who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. He went on to prophesy some other things, but this prophecy is incredibly accurate. This prophecy shows that God is in control of history. This prophecy shows that God knows what is coming. This prophecy shows that God has a person and a plan for every decade, every generation, and every century. This prophecy shows that nothing is done by surprise with God. Obviously, you should know that. I should know that. But when you see it in print, something comes alive to you. God knew exactly where the nation would be when Josiah would be born. It would be at the darkest hour it had ever been in all of its history is in the time when Josiah is born. It's at the darkest hour. He would know that there would be thousands of priests that have gone the way of Baal. God foresaw what was coming down the pipeline of history and God put it in this prophet's mouth because there is no past or present with God. There's only the now. And God puts this word in this prophet's mouth. There's coming a day. O altar and Jeroboam, you and all your people can hear this. Where everyone that offers incense on this altar, all these ungodly priests, they should be on the altar and they will be offered and their ashes will be spread over the land and God will cleanse the land and God will have the last word on this. Even though if you were living in that day, it would look like everything was on Jeroboam's side and nothing was on the man of God's side. There was no sign of any change in that nation except evil. But the prophet saw what prophets do. They get into the realm of the now the supernatural, and they can speak the future. It's coming a day when there's a Josiah. The word of the Lord should come to every person listening to my voice. The word of the Lord should come to every child, young person, junior high, high school, young adult, single adult, college student, young married. Those who have children, those who are ending their children years, those who are empty nesters, those who are single parents. Every individual should hear what I'm going to say. As 
much as God would do this to the man called Josiah. He has also done this for every individual that's listening to my voice. Every person is known of God and every person has a destiny and the hand of the Lord is upon your life to rise up in your time and your season to do something awesome in God for your day to turn people around and to go against the evil slant that is all around you. God knows exactly who you are, where you live, what your name is. He has prophesied your birth before you were born. He has described your body before it ever came out of the womb. He has put a destiny on you before you ever realize it. You are a person of destiny. You're a person of purpose. You're a person with God's hand. You are not someone that's just going to be knocked around by the evil of the day. You will withstand evil and you will be a Josiah in your day. You have to take that onto yourself because God knows exactly the day we stand in. It's evil. God knows exactly our thoughts. Oh my This is getting worse. I can't believe it. It just seems like they pile evil onto evil. Confusion onto confusion. They rip Jesus apart. Rip the church apart. Rip doctrine apart. Rip the word of God apart. It seems like we have no values, no more. It seems like we have an invasion of all kinds of other gods and philosophies. It seems like the world is crazy. There's so many things turned upside down. It seems like we're just in a day where I don't even know where to stand for what I believe in. And that's exactly why God is going to put a word over you because we are just like a Josiah generation, a Josiah person where that day has come upon us and God knew that we would be living in this day, in this hour, in this darkness, in this hopelessness, and that we would have the fortitude and the calling to step forward and be counted for God and do something in our day. That's right. You are just like a Josiah. Now put down 2 Kings 23, 25. Now before him, there was no king like him. I want to say that about you. You can be such an individual, such a special person for God. Second Kings 23, 25, who turned to the Lord with all of his heart. Now I'm speaking to you as a Josiah, meaning every individual has to turn to God with your own heart. Nobody can turn for you. Josiah turned with all of his heart. Would everybody shout the word all? all. With all of his soul. Shout it again. All. And with all of his might. Shout it again. According to all the law of Moses, shout it again. Nor after him did any arise like him. He's an all man. He doesn't leave anything undone. He's total. He's radical. He's in. He's a hundred percent. His life's on the line. He's a true disciple. He's a true man of God. He's a person that has decided nothing will be left for anybody else. I'm going to give all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind. Everything I have is going on the altar for God. There will be nothing left. I'm an all man. And everything that I understand of God, I will fulfill all that I hear. Every prophecy, every bit of the law, anything I understand, I'm in. I'm going to do this like no one else. That's why he says there is no king like before him or after him. He's a special man. Wouldn't it be great? If you would become that special person, that you would become an all person, not a little person, a little bit, 
a little emotion, a little mind, a little spirit, a little dedication, a little bit of suffering, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of Bible uh, study, a little bit of giving, a little bit of witnessing. I'm just a little, I'm just a part. I'm just kind of a fraction of a Christian, but at least I do that much. Can you get rid of the fraction bit and the part bit? And can you get rid of the half cup and the lukewarm and just turn yourself into an all person and say, you know what? I belong to God. All of me belongs to God. I'm going to be a little bit more radical now because my mind and my heart and my spirit, every bit of me belongs to God. I'm an all person. Can I hear an amen? Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine what would happen in our nation if we had some all people? Can you even imagine? It only takes a few. It doesn't take millions. It only takes a few. And sometimes we think we're so surrounded by darkness, so surrounded by Christians that are not Christians and churches that are not churches and Holy Spirit that doesn't seem spirit and where's this and where's that? Oh God, where's the miracles? Oh God, where's the breakthroughs? Oh God, where's the answer prayer? We start getting so shrunk in. We start thinking, am I the only person that really has any kind of a heart for God? Am I the, am I the only person that really feels any of these things? There was a prophet named Elijah that had that same feeling when he was running for his life and hid in the cave. He ended up saying to himself and saying out loud to God, I'm alone. There's no one else that serves you. I myself. There's only me that is left, oh God. And he's going on about, he's the only one left. There's just me. There's no one else. No one's seeking God. There's no one really an all person. I don't know where to find these radical people. I'm I'm the only person even thinking that way. Everybody around me is thinking differently. And then God tapped him on the shoulder and said, Elijah, come on. I want to get your attention. Oh, God, you better get my attention because I'm all you have. I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one thinking right. God says, well, just just so that you don't get too discouraged. There's 7,000 just like you. Where? Well, if you get out of your cave, you can find them. Sometimes we get into a cave. We think that everybody is like the two friends we have. We think everybody's like the two people we hang out with or the five people we know or the one family we've been raised in or the one idea that's around us or the one school people that we go to school with or whatever. We start getting into a cave. We don't actually understand that God is God. He raises up Josiah's and Elijah's. He has 7,000 people, so to speak. He has a multitude of people that are prayer seekers and radical in holiness and are praying for the nation on their knees all the time, interceding for the Lord, believing for revival. Come on, people. We are not down for the count and we are not losing. There is a God in heaven. There is a hope for the vision. There are people that are not giving up. There's a way to pray this thing through. And if you would open your eyes and get out of the cave, there are thousands and millions like you. You're not by yourself. And you don't know that until you step out. Josiah was a man who fulfilled these things. He was a zealous reformer. He was a reviver of people, repairer of the house, rediscovered the word of God, a responder to God and a righteous man. This is the Josiah king we're talking about. He's a reformer, a reviver, a repairer, a discoverer, a responder. He's a righteous man. He's also 
a very young man. And if you go through Second Chronicles chapter 34, which you should be at by now, you will find four ages mentioned in the first eight verses of chapter 34 of this man. He died at 39, so you just back up. It says in verse 1, he became king when he was eight. If you would mark that in your Bible and circle, and Josiah was eight years of age. Just get these numbers in your mind. Eight. He was eight years of age. Then it says in verse 3, for in the eighth year, eighth year of his reign, meaning he was 16. He was 16. While he was still young, he began to do a lot of right things. And then it says in verse 3, and in the twelfth year, he's now 20. Eight, sixteen, and twenty. And he begins a reform, a revival, a movement of God's word and God's spirit upon the nation that hadn't been seen for 57 years. Remember, he's entering into a time period where the last good king was 57 years ago. Hezekiah was the last good king. And then you have 55 years of Manasseh. And then you have two years of his father Ammon. And then you have Josiah. So he has 57 years. Five decades. Almost six. Where there was nothing but evil. Creative evil. Immorality beyond your imagination. Witchcraft. Susane. Spiritism. All kinds of worship of other gods. Worship of all the stars and the moons and the heavens. And all of these things were going on throughout the nation. They built altars in every corner of the city, on every hill. They grew the groves where people would go up and commit immoral acts according to the carbon on a tree. And they offered incense and they built altars to every kind of creeping thing. It says this nation was absolutely messed up to the point that the Bible says they were more messed up than the nations that God had slaughtered over the reason they had done their idolatry and their immoral acts. God had ruined those nations and judged them. And now he says, and Judah is worse than them. That's what it says. So this nation had gone so far, so deep, so unbelievably covered in this. His granddad, Manasseh, was the worst. The worst, he was the peak of evil. His father Ammon was wishy-washy. His father Ammon didn't stand for anything. His father let it happen the same as the granddad. He never put his foot into the river. He never resisted one thing. Josiah's family tree. His granddad and his father were evil and weak. Immoral and people that caused other people to be unbelievably immoral. But Josiah would not be defined by his parents or his grandparents. He would not be defined or make excuses. But, you know, my father was. And, you know, my mother was. And, you know, my granddad. And, you know, my family tree. And, you know, my whole, you know... You know, history is, and you know, there's so much brokenness, and I come from this kind of a home, and you know, there was immorality and molesting and, and drugs, and or maybe there was atheism, and, and maybe there was just lukewarm, or maybe there was just a, a father who was passive and never stood for a thing, and, and you have all these reasons why you can't be 
the kind of man or woman you're supposed to be. All the excuses we like to throw out there, the, the environment and our heredity and the habits we have inherited, everything that's working against us. Josiah looked all of that in the face and he simply said, none of those things will define me. I will not be defined by an ungodly grandfather. I will not be defined by an ungodly father. I will not be defined by an evil culture around me. I will define myself by serving the living God and whoever wants to follow me can follow me. I will not be defined by anything else. I have a new root in my life. I have a new altar I'm building. I'm relaying the foundations. I don't care what they laid. I'm laying my own foundation. Now you think about that. You have no excuse. You have no reason to bring up anything. Say, well, I'm coming out of brokenness. We all come out of some kind of brokenness. Well, I'm coming out of weakness. We all have some kind of weakness. Well, you know, I just don't know. We all come out of some kind of ignorance. But there comes a day where you have to be a Josiah and say, okay, whatever has been before me doesn't matter. At this point, I'm going to build my own altar. When that happens, God shows up in your life. God shows up. The Josiah principle reads this way. We're not defined. And I hope you write this down. Write it in your Bible. Pray it. And I hope it gets into your spirit. We're not defined by the extraordinarily unfavorable circumstances of our evil times. Even though everyone will say, but we are by the educational system and by the moral fiber of our nation right now, what's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not defined by the extraordinarily unfavorable circumstances of our evil times. We are called to rise above the evil and to do what is right. Reform, repent, repair, revive, and believe God. Now, before you start thinking, I'm telling you to reform, repent, revive, repair everybody around you and outside of you and you're going to be a revivalist and a reformer of stop and hear what I'm really saying revive your own heart repent of your own sins reform your own life repair your own house it doesn't start with looking out at the nation or anyone else it starts with an individual saying oh God I need to change. I haven't given you all. Some of you haven't given anything. So there comes a time where either you go with the flow of the culture or you stand your ground and you become a Josiah with your own relationship to God and your own heart to be an all person. There comes a time where every person faces that. I faced it. I wasn't 17 until I made it, but I faced it. When I faced it, I realized I didn't have it. I wasn't dedicated. I wasn't on it. I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't flowing with it. I was making all kinds of excuses of what life was and how bad the church was and how many people let me down and what's wrong with religious people and how pastors are so messed up and I would never want to be like them. I was so into me and my excuses, I couldn't see that the power of God can change a person to become the person God wants them to become had nothing to do with your disappointments and whoever has treated you however, it has everything to do with God's hand on your life. And when that happens, things change. And God will do something in you that is awesome. Now, Josiah 
faced dark times as you and I faced dark times. He faced his Manasseh times, and you can read it in chapter 33 if you want to read all the evil that was going on. It's quite a description of what was happening. You think our nation's bad? You think you want to have hopelessness? Read chapter 33, one chapter before chapter 34 that we're preaching from, and you'll read what Manasseh did. You'll understand, wow, they really had a lot of problems. They have maybe as many or more than we have right now. There are signs of evil impact on our nation that all of us face. Here's seven of them. The death of truth. Once we were guided by the unchanging word of God, but now we're coming into the no absolute realm and the philosophy realm and the death of truth. Truth is a discussion and a debate. There's no more honoring of just what truth really is. It's actually very confusing. The disappearance of virtue. Honoring the wrong thing. We don't honor the bravery and integrity and reverence and respect and compassion. We honor other things. We honor those who abuse their wives. We honor those who commit ungodly sins of immorality. We honor those by still worshiping them in their sports and still worshiping them in their entertainment and, and still thinking they're a cool person when they're, they're doing everything that is outside of virtue and is wrong. And yet we still honor that in America. We still honor that in the way we think about people and how we want to live our life. There's a, there's a disappearance of true virtue in our nation, a demise of justice. Not possible without absolute truth. You can't have justice if someone can't say what's right and wrong. A demise of justice is all around us. We can stop that in our own life, but that's where it starts. The loss of conviction, where people have a new tolerance angle now, that everyone's beliefs are the same, respect everybody equally. That's what schools are teaching. That's what people are saying. That's what the government is saying. Respect every religion. Come on, we're a nation of many religions now. We're not just one religion. We're now a multi-faith religion. We're now a multi-faith nation and we have to respect everyone who has a, any kind of a temple or any kind of a priest or any kind of a sacrifice. It really doesn't matter. What right do you have to say what is wrong? What right do you have to say what is right? That's what our leadership is saying right now that's leading this particular nation. They're saying we have no right to say what is right and wrong because all religions are equal and everyone should be given the same respect all the time. No, a thousand times, no. I will never, ever, ever respect the Ku Klux Klan. Would you? Come on, we all got to be equal. I will never respect white slavery. I will never respect the pervert. I will never respect those who sell children into slavery. I will never respect a mindset that allows people to do whatever they want to other people. You're telling me all are equal? No way they're equal. There are some that are true and some that are lies. And the Bible is the only thing that will tell you what is true. The problem with that, if you talk to many people the way I'm preaching, they will say you're a bigoted, narrow-minded Christian. And all you need to do to respond to that is to say, well, thank you very much. That's exactly what I am. I'm, a narrow, I'm as narrow as Jesus and as narrow as the Bible and as narrow as God. What God calls good, I call good. What God calls ungood, I call ungood. Take it up with God. If you don't have a place to stand, when will you ever make a stand? Privatizing our faith, dominance of feelings instead of fact, exalting nature, nature instead of valuing people. We value nature more than humans. Amazing. 
We value a baby seal more than a baby fetus. Amazing. We will spend millions to save an owl and spend millions to kill millions of babies. We are a crazy nation. We're off track. We are insane with our thinking. Our morals have gone south so far, it's hard to even remember where they're supposed to be. And that is exactly why every one of us must see ourselves as a Josiah standing in this day. We can handle this. We can resist this. We can make a difference with this. We can build our own foundations. And how do you do that? You never become immoral. That's how you fix it. Don't you be immoral. You have no word for this nation if you're immoral. How do you fix it? Fix your marriage. Do not leave your marriage. The same-sex marriage people say, and they have all the stats that Christians divorce one another, and so what's wrong with them? Man and man and woman and woman married, because at least we stay together. How can you guys say marriage should be so exalted where you don't even keep your marriage? What do you say to that? It's hard to defend. They were in my face saying that. It was very hard to defend. That's not the way of everyone. There are people that do keep their marriage. And I, for one, and Ken, for one, we've been married 34 years. I've been married to Sharon for 34 years. Ken's been married to Glenda for 30, 39 years. And I, and I say to that, praise God. Thank God for people that have been married for a long time and keep their marriage. Because keeping a marriage is a form of spiritual warfare. You are in the enemy's face saying, this covenant doesn't bend. This marriage doesn't bend. We are not like everyone else. We're not going the way of all flesh. If I don't love my wife, I'm going to find a way to love her. If I don't love my husband, I'm going to find a way to love him. We're going to keep our marriage wide because we're just Josiah people. We are building altars. We're building foundations. We're returning to God. We are going to be different than our culture. Can I hear a huge amen? That's what it's going to take. Josiah made up his mind. Here's Josiah's decision. There's two of them. First, the Josiah heart. He committed himself, and I'm asking you to do this this morning. I'm asking you to commit yourself to these three things. It's in verse 2 of chapter 34. Three things. Do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Walk in proven principles of those that have gone before you. Proven principles. Don't turn aside from the path you have chosen. You want to be a Josiah? There it is right there. Do what is right. Follow proven principles. Don't turn aside. Doing what is right means pertaining to what is not crooked. Not following the other paths of people, but staying on the right path. The ways of the Lord speak about your manner of life and your conduct and not turning aside, meaning you will not deviate from the path you have chosen. If you are a person that built wrong foundations when you were young, start over today. If you're a person that somehow has gone on another path and you know that path is not a path, that is what? Forget what I preach in some ways. It's not just me trying to preach at you and me trying to get your attention and me as a teacher preacher trying to force you into it. At the end of the day, my voice will not be heard in your conscience as loud as the Bible and the voice of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, 
You have to make your own decision. You have to make up your own mind. You have to make your own altar in your life and decide that the path you're on, does it please the Lord or not? In the way you do your money, your relationships, in every area of your life, does it please the Lord? Do what is right. Walk in proven principles. Don't turn aside. Then Josiah made this decision. This is in verses 3 through 7 of your Bible, chapter 34. And here they are. Just list them off so you can write them down. This is the result of him saying, I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to follow proven principles. I'm not going to turn aside. This is the result. One, decide to place your affections rightly. That is, remove the high places. The high places is anything you put your affections on that are wrong, ungodly, that Jesus says, don't put your affections there, Frank. That's a high place. Decide to place your affections rightly. Remove the high places in your life. Put God as the first. Decide to live morally. Break down the altars of Baal immorality. Christians, believers, young people, old people, in-betweensters, make a decision. You know what is morally right and morally wrong. Come on, do what is right. Take a stand with yourself. Tear down that altar of Baal. Third, decide to pursue God's will. Destroy all the wooden images. Those wooden images were images that brought happiness to life and fortune. And that's why I say pursue God's will. Tear down all the wooden images. Number four, decide to have a right perception of God. Destroy all the carved images. Images in your life. An image carved out of wood or rock that is dead, not possible to help anybody. A wrong view of God. All the carved images. Decide to have a right perception of God. Destroy the carved images. A wrong perception of God, seeing seeing Him as we would make Him, not truly as He is. We make God out of our own intellect and our own emotions, we kind of fabricate, okay, this is the way God is. And this is what God will let me do. And this is how God feels. Be careful you don't make God into someone he's not. Our nation is suffering from a twisted perception of God because we've taken all of our philosophies and ways, we've meshed it together and say, okay, this is what God will do. God will only do what he said he will do. Fifth, decide to leave the past behind. Destroy the molden images. The molden images were the golden calf. They would put all their valuables together and everything that they brought out of Egypt, make a calf. Sometimes that's what we do with our past. We take all the things from our past and we create kind of an image and a thing that influences our life, but it should be ground to powder and destroyed. Don't value the past. Don't value those things. Don't, don't bring them with you. Leave the golden calf in Egypt. You're coming out. Don't, don't put your valuables in that. Don't be reminded of that. Don't go back to that. Last point. Reviving a heart of purity. He did two things. He returned to God's word. And he responded humbly to the Lord. You know, the verses say, and I don't have time to keep reading all the verses, but the verses say, about Josiah, because you were so humble. And it's, it says in Second Chronicles 34, you'll read it, because your heart was so tender. 
And when you heard the word of the Lord and God came to you, you were so responsive. You were so humble. You were so tender. You were so responsive. I'm going to come to you and do something in you because of your heart. He responded so right. Reviving our heart. Purity means taking out all the stuff I'm talking about, bringing in the grace of God, aligning ourselves with Jesus, being different than everyone else around us. Whatever happened to difference? Christians and church people are so much the same. You can't tell them on the job whether one is or not. You would never know. What happened happened to this thing called different? The only way America will ever find its path is when the people of God find their path. If they find their path, God will do the rest. He'll shake, he'll purge, he'll do but it starts with the house of God. It starts with us. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord with a whole heart. Can I hear an amen?